This is the time in our gathering when we look into God's word to see what he has to say to us. We're continuing our series through the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 12. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, uh, I'm really sorry. This is a sermon on money. Um, but it's not because we decided like this was the time to do that. It's because that's what's next and it's what Jesus is talking about. Now hopefully we'll end up talking about a little more than just money. Um, so we're not, we're not usually doing quite what we're doing today. But we are also always doing what we're doing today is that we're looking at the text and we're seeing what God has revealed to us there and seeing how that moves us toward Christ and then thinking about what that means for us and how we should respond to him and how we should live while we wait for him to come again as we look forward to his forever reign. So there's a way in which we're doing something very different than usual, a way in which we're doing exactly what we always want to do by God's grace. So if you're a guest with us again, I'm sorry. I hope that you've already been blessed by the things that have happened and that perhaps you even will uh, through what happens in this next part of our time together. So Luke 12 is where we'll be. Um, we'll be in the middle of Luke 12. Richie started that off for us last week with verses 1 through 12. So we'll be looking at Luke 12, 13 to 34 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a Bible, at least one, in the back of a chair in the row in front of you, unless you're in the very front row. There might be one underneath one of the chairs in the front row. Um, but if you are using one of those Bibles, page 871 is where our text will be for today. And then once you have your spot there in Luke 12, you kind of hold your finger there, use a marker or a pen or whatever, hold that spot and turn back over to the Old Testament, to page 479 if you're using a chair Bible, and it's Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is where our Old Testament reading will be. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4. And then Luke 12, 13 to 34. And the scripture will be read this morning by Becky Adams. Psalm 63, 1 through 4. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Luke 12, 13-34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat? Nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and that these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that, know, that do not grow old, and a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where do thieves approach and, moth, and no moth destroys? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. We thank you that in these last days you have spoken to us by your son who has told us the way of life, but more than that, has made the way of life for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for passages like these where we get to just see directly what he said. And so we ask you to help us to see what you want us to see, to know what you want us to know, to feel what you want us to feel, and then to be what you want us to be, and to do what you want us to do. I can't do those things. We can't decide on our own to do those things. So Holy Spirit, would you please come and meet with us now? Would you work among us? Would you help me to say what I should and not say what I shouldn't? Would you help each of us as we are participating in these moments together? Would we be ready to respond with faith, with love, with joy? Oh, Holy Spirit, would you do this good work in us? In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a way in which, which this text is awkward because we're talking about money, and there's a way in which it's actually very timely uh, because of the season that we're in. There's more pressure 
to spend more money we don't have on things we don't need than perhaps any other time of the year. There's so much pressure that sometimes we end up putting gifts for others, maybe even gifts for ourselves on credit cards and pay way more than we saved on the great deal. So this text sounds very much like what Jesus might say to our consumeristic culture. All right, this passage must be for those people who give their spouse a Lexus for Christmas without them knowing about it. Aren't those like the worst ads? It's like, who, who could even do that? I mean, that's, right, or the ones who buy like the, the twin um, trucks, right? It's like, you know, the, the lady's like, oh, I got these little matching things. He's like, I got some matching things too. Let's go out to the driveway. You know, and she's like, oh, the blue one, I love it. And he's like, sure, I like red. And you're like, really? Like, we're people in Philadelphia watching the Eagles. We can't afford to do that. We don't, which, now at least there's honesty in advertising because the houses that they're in are like bigger than this building <laughs> and a lot newer. Or maybe it's for the person who gets themselves a $2,400 stationary bike. It doesn't even go anywhere. <laughs> but while it's easy for us to laugh at whoever is the target of those ads, it's not just a problem out there, right? It's a problem that's in here. And so Jesus, because he loves us, is telling us the truth. So the big idea this morning from Luke 12, 13 to 34 is this. Our relationship with God must transform our relationship with money and stuff. Our relationship with God must transform our relationship with money and stuff. Kids, I put the uh, and stuff in there just for you. Because you might think that since we're talking about money and you don't have any, that this sermon doesn't apply to you. Right? Or college students, you might feel like I have like negative money. Right? We're, we're, never, we're never getting out of this. So certainly this doesn't apply to me. I don't, I don't have anything anyway. But our relationship with God must transform our relationship with money and stuff. Because this isn't just about having a large bank account. This is about our possessions. In this season of getting, Jesus is calling us to give. In this world of getting what you can to use for your own ends, Jesus is calling us to be generous. In this text, we'll see both the danger of and the cure for covetousness. And again, we might say, well, I don't struggle with this. I'm not rich. But notice that Jesus, after addressing the one who calls out from the crowd and telling the parable, in verse 22, it says, and he said to his disciples, 
So at the beginning, he's addressing the guy who says, you know, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Rule in my favor. Get me my money. And he says, man, who, who made me a judge? Who made me your arbitrator? I'm, I'm not doing that. And then he tells the story. He says, be on guard. Look out. Be on guard against covetousness. We think, yeah, it's for that guy because he wanted a bunch of stuff. He was trying to get the inheritance. He only cared about an earthly inheritance. But then Jesus tells the rest of this. All, all the commands, all the imperatives here are for his disciples. Therefore, the people who had already left everything and followed Jesus. Now, we know one of them was taking what he could out of the money bag. But he wasn't just talking to Judas. He wasn't like, you know, I'm going to give a message to my disciples because there's that one person who really needs it. He's talking to all of them. And he's talking to all of us. So let's look first at the danger. The danger of covetousness. And there is a real danger. After this man approaches Jesus and calls out from the crowd, teacher, tell me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus tells a parable, a story, but before he tells the story, he gives us the meaning. Sometimes he tells us the parable first, then gives us the meaning later. Sometimes he only gives the meaning to the disciples later. This time he gives the principle right up front. Look back at your text, verse 15. He said to them, so this is while the crowd is still there, take care, which could also be translated, watch out, look out. And be on your guard against. And you're like, okay, this must be serious. I've got to watch out. I've got to be on guard. I've got to be prepared. I've got to be ready to meet this enemy. What's that enemy? What's that danger? Covetousness. When I think about my enemies, when I think about the things that are dangerous to me, my coveting heart is not usually on that list. Right? We might think about other people. We might think about Satan, we might think about our culture, we might think about all sorts of things. And Jesus warns us against those kinds of things too. But here, he's saying, look out. Be on guard, be prepared, be ready, because there is danger here. And that danger is covetousness. So the problem isn't necessarily being rich. We don't know that the guy here was rich. The problem isn't necessarily wealth. The problem is wishing for wealth and all that it can bring. One of the more famous misquoted verses in the Bible, though I guess all the words are in a row, is that money is the root of all evil, right? But that's not exactly what it means. It does, all those words are in a row, but right before it, it says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we know that for sure, because that's 1 Timothy 6.10. The verse right before it, I know it's 1 Timothy 6.9. And here's what it says. But those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
whoa, Paul was serious about this. And as we look at our text, we see that Jesus was serious about this too. And we go, well, come on. I mean, I don't really have a desire to be rich. I just want a little more than I have. Well, what happens when covetousness is operating unchecked in our lives? Because we can, you know, like, oh, I know about that other person. Yeah, they, boy, that person a couple rows over from me. They need this one, right? I see the things they have. No, this is for us. And so we want to look at Jesus' parable that he gives because that will help us see the heart of covetousness. Not coveting, of course, that's the last of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet anything that is your neighbor's. And so, what does it mean to covet? Because this isn't a word we use very often. We're like, oh yeah, I, I coveted the other day. Right? That's, we're, we're not even aware. We just think, well, we just want what we want. And of course, there's a way to figure out how to get it. So, what happens when covetousness is operating unchecked in our lives? Well, let's look at this guy. This guy has what we might call rich people problems. First, this man in Jesus' story is focusing on self. He's focusing on himself. Jesus said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. And here was the principle. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But here the man in the story thinks that it does. When we're thinking that life consists in the abundance of our possessions, what we can get for ourselves and use for ourselves, that leads to laying up treasure for ourselves. This guy in Jesus' story only thinks of himself. I'm just take a quick look back at it. How many times, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build large ones there. I will store all my grain, my goods, I will say to my soul, soul, you, now it's self-talk, have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This guy only sees himself. He thinks that what his land has produced, which he might have been able to recognize would be a gift from God, that's not automatic, but he only sees it. It's, it's mine. It's mine. What am I going to do with what's mine? And this is where kids, you're definitely not off the hook, right? Now all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, that sounds just a bit familiar in our house. Parents can testify, right? That's mine! Hopefully our kids aren't as bad as those birds in Finding Nemo, but it feels like that sometimes, right? But the thing is, we're really good at correcting it in our kids as long as we can pull ourselves away from Amazon <laughs> to take the time to correct them. He's focused on self. But he's not only focusing on self, he's focusing on what can be seen. He's focusing on self, he only sees himself, and he's focusing on what can be seen. This guy's only thinking about the here and now. He only sees what is right in front of him. 
Now for him, the view seems pretty good. You're set for life, he says to himself. Of course, he didn't know how short that was going to be. He says, you are set for life. Relax. Your worries are over. When you have a lot, you can think your worries are over. When you have a little and you want a lot, all you have is worries. And that's why Jesus tells them, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not be afraid as he's addressing his disciples later on. But this guy, he only sees what's right in front of him. He doesn't see beyond. He doesn't see eternity. He doesn't see the unseen realm. All he sees is that he's got a lot of stuff and he likes it. Sure, he needs to do something about it. He's got a storage problem. That's his biggest problem in life. It's like, that'd be great, right? If that was my biggest problem in life is that I needed to get another storage unit. A storage unit. I don't have a storage unit. But that's, that's his issue. I've got, how can I take care of all of my stuff? It's like, Lord, give me problems like that. But the thing is, he's the guy that God calls a fool. If we're wishing for problems like that, that's, that's sort of like an evidence <laughs> of a covetous heart. He's focusing on self. He's focusing on what can be seen. And he is forgetting God. He has forgotten God who made him, who gave him life. He has forgotten God who's the one who sends rain down on fields so that they produce crops. God calls him a fool. He doesn't consider that God has made him and what God has given him, but he also doesn't consider that he will answer to God. Right, I'm sure you've heard the old, I don't know how old the saying is, that you know, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And it's true that you brought nothing into this world and we will take nothing out of it. But he forgot. He forgot that the most important thing isn't what's in his barns. It's the God who has made him and to whom he is responsible He's focusing on self, he's focusing on what can be seen, he's forgetting God, but he's also forgetting others. He's forgetting God, and he's forgetting others. In his focus on himself and what can be seen, he doesn't just forget God, I mean, that's a big deal, but he forgets others. He doesn't see their need, right? It's my crops, my grain, my barns, my stuff, with no sense that there are other people around him who may be in need, who may be able to benefit from this super abundance that he has. I mean, this is crazy abundance. You have enough, it says, for many years. I mean, maybe his land could have produced another crop another year. Maybe he could have saved up for, for one year in case there was a bad year and maybe he has another bumper crop the next year. It sounds like he's got a lot of extra. Again, so much he doesn't even know what to do with it. But instead of thinking, what do I do with all this extra that I don't need? Instead of going, maybe I could use that to serve and bless and help other people. Maybe I can give some of that back to God who gave all of it to me anyway. 
says, what am I going to do with my stuff? And he makes his plans for his stuff. The grain is all his. No wonder Paul calls covetousness idolatry in Colossians 3.5. And this is why it is such a danger. Going after money and the security and the stuff it can buy is an exercise in missing the point of life. It's grasping at wind. You can't do it. It's like, I'm, I'm going to get it. And as soon as you've closed your hand on it, it's gone. It leads to anxiety and to worry. See, money cannot buy real security. It cannot buy real peace. And it cannot buy what we need the most, which is a relationship with God, which leads to eternal life. So that's the danger. Jesus concludes that story with another explanatory statement of that person. It says, Fool, this night your soul's required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And here's Jesus' summary statement for his parable. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What we're supposed to feel after that is like, uh, okay, uh, rich toward God. Sign me up for that. How do I do that? How do I get in on this? So that was the danger. Now for the cure. What is the cure for covetousness. Jesus gives several commands to his disciples. He gave a couple of commands to everyone. Watch out. Be on guard against covetousness. But there are a slew of commands in verses 22 through 34. So as we consider the cure, first we need to consider what is true. Right? So he's focusing only on self he was focusing only on what he could see, forgetting God, forgetting others. If we want to live differently than that, we must begin by considering what is true. Jesus has already said life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. If you only lay up treasure for yourself and are not rich toward God, you are a fool. Those are in verses 15 and then 21. And he says in verse 23, life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. He reminds them that being anxious doesn't change anything. He says to seek God's kingdom. He says where your treasure is, in verse 34, there will your heart be also. So we consider what is true. We remember God. We remember others. We remember when our hearts are drawn away, when, we're, when others are trying to draw us away with all the deals. You need this, right? It works on us. Dad, you need an iPhone 11. It's like, I don't. I don't. I don't. I have to keep telling myself that, right? 
But that's, that's what ads are, that's what they're trying to do. That's what they spend all that money doing is working on our wanters that don't really need any help. So we need to consider what is true. I don't need that. It will not give lasting treasure. Right near the end, he's saying, lay up treasure where it will last, where no moth corrupts something. Have you ever had that experience? You had something saved up in the attic, a blanket, a sweater, another article of clothing. Like, all right, I've got it there. I'm going to go and get it. It's one of my favorites, or it's a family heirloom. And you go, and it's just, it's done. It's in pieces. That may have been a treasure, and now it's trash. Because moths got into it. Where rust corrupts, where things corrode, things get old, things get messed up, things get broken. Your favorite shirt, the numbers start to come off. Well, it must be time to get a new one. I, I need it. Everything we think we need will eventually get old. Whether it just gets old to us because we're on to the next thing because we saw one more ad, or whether it actually gets old, it will. Everything will. There is nothing we can get in this world. Even the things that we need, there is nothing we can get in this world that will last. Only God and only <coughs> excuse me, other people. You won't take your house to heaven with you. So you're like, that's that's great, actually. <laughs> right? You won't take your car to heaven with you. You won't take your clothes to heaven with you. You won't take anything, but you can be sending treasure ahead. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Just provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's what you really love. That's what you really long for. So we must consider what is true. That the things of this life will not last. They will not be worth the investment that we make, but the investments we make in God's kingdom will always be worth it. Life is not about what you eat or wear or what you can get. Treasure here will not last. Treasure in heaven does. That's what's true, but what do we do with what is true? We trust our Father's care. Consider what is true and trust your Father's care. Jesus is calling out to us saying, it is not all about you, and it is not all about what you have or what you can get. And God cares for you. 
right, where we're getting on this guy for being thoroughly selfish and not remembering God, it can just be like, okay, well, God is just kind of, he's, he's the one that's important and we don't matter at all and we're pretty worthless. But Jesus tells us the exact opposite of that. He says, yeah, don't be selfish. Don't only focus on what you can see and what helps you learn to do that is to know the Father's care for you. To know the Father's love for you. So it's not about you. It's not about what you have. And God cares for you and will provide everything that you need. With last week's passage, it was about five sparrows and being sold for two pennies. Not one of them's forgotten before God. This is verse 6 and 7. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And this week, it's ravens and lilies. It says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. You hear the connections back to the man with the bumper crop? And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Or he tells us about lilies in verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith. So he says, don't be anxious about these things. Don't be worried about these things. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Your Father knows that you need them. And Back in the middle, between the consider the ravens and consider the lilies. In verse 25, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You can't do it. It's impossible. And then Jesus says, If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? God has you. And God cares for you. And God will provide exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, in the way that gives him the most glory and you the most joy. Do you believe that God will take care of you? He addresses his disciples, says, oh, you of little faith. Do we believe that God will take care of us? He takes care of the birds, he takes care of the flowers, and he will take care of us. And of course, we have even better promises than these disciples did. It's not just about considering what's true, it's not just about trusting your father's care. It's like, how can we call him father? How can we be part of this? Because we all are guilty of covetousness. Every last one of us. 
Every last one of us is an idolater. And so we not only consider what's true, trust our Father's care, we must realize the riches that we have in Christ. Realize the riches you have in Christ. Through Jesus, that's how God has cared for us. Yes, he gives us all these daily things that we need, but he has given us what we need the most. We can consider what's true and trust our Father's care because his generous heart has been revealed to us in Jesus. Knowing Christ is the cure for covetousness. We know when we're here, we know the riches we have in Christ. But then once we're out, once we're doing our own thing, once we're thinking our own way, once we're confronted with another ad, we forget. We have unimaginable riches in Jesus. This guy in Jesus' story is like, you, you've got a lot of stuff for many years. We have so much more than that, you can't even compare it. We have an unimaginable inheritance in Christ. We who deserve God's judgment, who deserve God's wrath, have become his sons and daughters. Because Jesus came and was born and lived the perfect life that none of us have lived, obeying all God's commands with all his heart, his whole life, all the way to death on a cross for sinners, for us, so that everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him will have life with him forever. And it's not just that we get like brought back up to level where we get to try again, which is actually super good news for us. Because if we just got brought back up to level and got to start over, we'd be right back where we were in a minute. He doesn't just bring us to level. He forgives our sins. He gives us his righteousness. It's going to take him all eternity to lavish the riches of his grace in Christ Jesus on us. We are adopted into God's family. We are co-heirs with Christ. The man who called out from the crowd wanted a share of his brother's inheritance. Our inheritance through Christ is eternal life in God's eternal kingdom. Knowing this deep in our bones, that is the key to contentment. That is what cuts the hold that covetousness has on us. In 2 Corinthians 8, as Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church to give generously, he gives a reason. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 
We are rich because Christ was willing to give up his riches for us. We have unimaginable riches in Jesus and we have the promise of his presence both now and forever. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when we're thinking, I have to have that thing, it's like we have what we need. If we have Christ, we have all. And we have the promise of our Father that along with him, he will give us everything that we need. So don't worry. Don't fear. Doesn't mean you're always going to have everything that you want. But we will always have what we need because our Father, who we can call Father because of what Jesus has done for us, our Father cares for us. We are never out of his sight. We are never beyond his reach. So what does responding to Jesus look like? When we hear these commands where we're aware of God, And his grace toward us. What does responding to Jesus look like? Well first, if you don't know Jesus, today take Jesus as your treasure. Jesus gave up the riches and glory of heaven to be born in a poor family in humble circumstances. But that was just the beginning. He lived generously. Ultimately giving his life for self-centered sinners like us by dying on the cross in our place. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day so that everyone who turns from their sins and trusts in him can share in his life and in his eternal inheritance. So if you have only been seeking the kind of treasure this world and this life have to offer, thinking that was all, you can turn from your idolatry, turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus. Take him as your treasure. See that he's better than anything else. See that relationship with him will last longer than anything you can reach for now. He gave his life so that he could be your treasure forever. You might think, well, I've kind of lived this way a long time. I don't know what to do. If you're still living, it is not too late. It is not too late to turn to Jesus. And when we have Jesus as our treasure, when we know it, we are free to give sacrificially. So take Jesus as your treasure if you haven't. If you've not been acting like he's your treasure, can reclaim him as your treasure. Be reminded of the riches we have in Christ. And then give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. How can you tell that this has happened to you? That that the cure for covetousness is at work in your life. It shows up in how we relate to material things. How we relate to money and what it can buy. So your life is not about what you have. It's about who you are in Christ. So in him, you have everything you'll ever need. So our relationship with God must transform our relationship with money. Before we knew Christ, 
before we knew his wealth, before we knew his riches, we lived a certain way. Going after the things of this life like they were what mattered the most because that's all we could see. It's all we knew. But now that we have Christ, now that we have the Holy Spirit living in us to teach us who Christ is and what he has done for us, we're empowered to live differently than we did before and differently than the world around us. See, your relationship with money and stuff is an indicator of your relationship with God. What we want, what we think we have to have, is an indicator. Perhaps it's a warning light of your relationship with God. Your anxieties, your worries, your fears reveal your true treasure. They reveal what you value the most, what you fear losing the most. Now, we've talked about heavenly treasure. Jesus is talking about treasure that won't fade. And so we might be tempted to think Jesus is simply saying, well, you just need to focus on spiritual things. Now, certainly, we could probably all benefit from being told that we need to focus on spiritual things. But that's not all. Sure, he does say to seek God's kingdom. So we must focus on the unseen realm. But our focus on eternal things connects to what we do with our material things. Yes, he says, seek his kingdom in verse 31, and all these things will be added to you. He tells them in verse 32, fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We receive God's kingdom. We become part of God's kingdom. We will reign with Christ forever. And so, the words right after this, instead of just going like, rejoice, isn't that great? He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now being generous is not only about money, but it is about money. Does that make sense? It's not only about money, but it's not not about money. It is about money. And again, maybe some of you go, well, I mean, I don't even have any, so I'm exempt. Or maybe we think, well, if I had more money, I could be more generous, right? I'd be more generous if I had more to be generous with. But the thing is, you probably wouldn't. In fact, I can almost assuredly say, no, you wouldn't. This rich fool got a lot more, and all he did was think more about himself. And I'd be more generous if I had more. No, you wouldn't. You'd be more generous when you remember and really feel and know how generous Christ has been 
to you. Again, generosity isn't just for those who have a lot. I think those are the people who are supposed to be generous. We have another story that will be coming up in a while in Luke, in Luke 21, where Jesus is watching people give their offerings and the rich people are coming in and giving a lot of money. And a woman comes in, a widow, and gives two copper coins worth almost nothing. And Jesus says she's given more than everybody because it's all she had. That's what he is looking for, that kind of generosity. Again, from 2 Corinthians 8, where he was reminding them of Christ's riches in verse 9. In the early verses, he points them to the testimony of another church, the church in Philippi, the churches in Macedonia. It says that their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. like, Their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Like, wait, what? How did it happen? Their joy. Their abundance of joy. Where did their abundance of joy come from? From Christ. From belonging to Him. From having Him. So he says they gave according to their means. And he says, I can testify beyond their means of their own accord. So in Christ, we already have and will receive more than we could ever get by grasping. So now we're free to give away what we have. We hold material things loosely because our hearts are set on treasure that will last. And so maybe you say, okay, yep, Christ is my treasure. I want to give sacrificially. But in order to give generously, in order to give sacrificially, we will need to plan specifically. Perhaps you're thinking, yeah, you know, I, whew, this really hit me today. I need to be more generous. Well, if we keep it at being more generous, it works a whole lot like pray more does as a New Year's resolution, right? If I just want to pray more, I, I don't. If I just want to be more generous, I probably won't. Because it's not just like, okay, I, ooh, I felt especially generous today. I'll give something to someone. This isn't something we want to just last a moment or last a day. Jesus isn't aiming at disciples who will like, after hearing the message, come with everything they had and give it to them. And then it's like, okay, now we can go on with life the way that it was. So plan specifically. Make a plan to cultivate a generous heart by reminding yourself regularly through the word and prayer that Jesus is the greatest treasure. When we're filled with anxieties, we're often not filled with the word. We're often not filled with the spirit. When we're worried, when we're anxious about how things will go. So make a plan to cultivate a generous heart. Remind yourself regularly through the word and prayer that Jesus is the greatest treasure and that through him the Father has given you the kingdom. So make a plan to cultivate a generous heart, but then make a plan to be generous. 
See, there's almost always some reason why we can't be generous right now. So don't make that decision in the moment. Plan generosity. Planning doesn't make it fake. It makes it happen. And you think, well, it's not, it's not going to be real if it's, if it's planned like that. No, it's, it's going to make it actually be real, like a thing that actually happens if we plan. Do you believe and feel the riches of Christ enough to be generous with the things that you have, to give sacrificially? And what would giving sacrificially look like for us? Well, in the Old Testament, there's the tithe that was 10%. We saw it a couple of weeks ago when the Pharisees, they were tithing on all their spices and all, all the everythings and, been, and thinking like, okay, now we're done. We don't have to care about justice and the love of God and other people because we, we did our things. And the root of that word tithe from chapter 11 is a tenth. It's about 10%. That's the idea of the tithe. Now, the tithe doesn't exactly come over as a law into the new covenant. But we've been given so much more than what they had. It seems like actually 10% would be a good baseline for our giving. So for 2020, as you plan... Maybe set a goal of moving toward giving away 10% of your income to the church, to other ministries, directly to people in need that you know and are building relationships with. So like 10%, I could never get there. Right? And I don't know. I have no idea. I don't see the offering stuff. Again, it's, it's just the next text, I promise. So I don't know. I don't know if you're at 2% or 4% or 0% or what. And so make a plan. And maybe you can't go from 0 to 10. I understand how that would be difficult. But part of this, part of Jesus' point is that we're giving sacrificially. So it's not like, where do I have an extra 5 bucks for Jesus? It's, what will I give up? in order to give him what he's worthy of. And so it's going to take planning. If you're married, it's, you definitely like do this together, right? Don't do the person buying the Lexus thing. I put a $5,000 check in the offering at church. It's like, what? <laughs> okay, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. So talk to each other, work together, but work on a plan. How can I, at whatever stage of life I am, whether I'm 10, 20, 30, 100, what would sacrificial giving look like for me? Again, not, not just for like bring more into the church. What would giving things away? It says sell your possessions and give to the needy. What things do we have that we can divest ourselves of so that we can invest in someone else? What subscriptions do we have that maybe end up taking a lot of our time away from being able to focus on other people that we could drop 
in order to invest both personally and financially in other people. Jesus' point is that our relationship with God, because he has us, because he's our father, because he's taking care of us and will take care of us forever, our relationship with God must transform our relationship with money and stuff. We are free to be rich toward God when we realize the riches we have in Christ. So watch out. Be aware of the danger of covetousness. See Christ as the cure for your covetous heart. Consider what is true. Trust your Father's care. Realize the riches you have in Christ. Give sacrificially and plan specifically. We can afford to be generous because we've already received the very best gift. Let's pray. Oh God, this is hard for us. We so want to hang on to what we have. And so by your spirit, would you, would you work on us? Not just this morning, but beyond this morning. To grow in our understanding of Christ's generous self-giving for us. And then would you help us knowing that, knowing the riches we have to grow in our open-handedness toward others, in our generosity. And would you use the gifts that you empower us to give for your glory, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.